I have a question to pose. What constitutes a lifetime contract? The question, and the reason I bring that is I welcome you in, or we welcome you, and I should always say we welcome you into this 336th episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Mike Jansen, Chris Fluke with you. John Calipari, the controversial head basketball coach at the University of Kentucky. His team was eliminated in the Elite Eight on Sunday. They lost to the Auburn Tigers. Their fellow SEC, uh, they aren't really rivals because usually Kentucky kicks the hell out of Auburn, but they're contemporaries, um, they're conference mates, whatever. Um, But it was funny, if you remember, for the last decade or so, college basketball in the United States has been dominated by the Dukes, the North Carolinas, the Kentuckys. Every now and then you get a Michigan State in there. Even for two years in a row in 2014 and 2015, you got the little University of Wisconsin in there. But the big boys, the blue blood uh, con- the blue blood programs have been pretty much the ones I just mentioned in regard to Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky. Con- uh, Connecticut, once Jim Calhoun retired from Connecticut, they've gone down the toilet. Michigan State is there every once in a while. Um, I don't know. I think this was the seventh or eighth Final Four for Tom Izzo. The Spartans are always there, um, but people seem to have forgotten that the university in the United States, men's college basketball program that has won the most national championships, happens to be from the left coast, and I'm talking about the UCLA Bruins. The UCLA Bruins won 10 NCAA tournaments in an 11-year span in the 1960s going into the 70s with Coach John Wooden. That was their first 10, and then in 1995, under Jim Herrick, the Bruins won their 11th national championship in men's basketball. Since 95, UCLA, they had a little bit of a run in the early 2000s with Ben Howland. They made it to two successive Final Fours, but they lost both years to the University of Florida. Since then, UCLA has been nondescript. They hired former Indiana All-American Steve Alford as the basketball coach. Previous to that, Alford was at New Mexico. Previous to that, he was at Iowa. Previous to that, he was at some place called Southwest Missouri State, whatever the hell that is. But Steve Alford obviously didn't work, and the, the Bruins program is looking for another basketball coach. And supposedly, UCLA offered Calipari a six-year, $48 million contract. So that comes out to $8 million bucks a year. Well, first of all, Calipari is very comfortable at Kentucky. Second of all, he's the highest paid coach in the league. Or, well, in the league, for sure. But he's the highest co- paid coach in, in major college basketball. But he would be taking a pay cut because his basic rate is basic <laughs> million a year to coach the Kentucky men's basketball team. So why would he go to UCLA, take on all the extra headaches, and for $500,000 less a year? So to reward Calipari and make sure that people don't take a run at the number one basketball coach in the Bluegrass State, the Kentucky program has given Calipari a lifetime contract. Now what constitutes a lifetime contract? Does Calipari still get paid after he retires? Um, Does this mean that nobody else can offer Calipari a contract because he's got a lifetime contract? Contracts, folks, let me tell you. 
If you didn't know or don't have a lot of exposure to contracts, in this day and age, with a sharp attorney, contracts can get, you can get out of a contract so damn easy it, it'd make your head spin. So when they say lifetime contract, what does that mean? If Calipari really wanted to leave Kentucky, he could do it in a New York minute. I'm telling you right now. I've had enough experience over the years dealing with contracts that there is no such thing, in my opinion, in what they would call an ironclad contract. I just want to know what constitutes a lifetime contract. As I bring in the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Fluke, what, when they say things like this, lifetime contract, do you have any idea what the hell they're talking about? Well, it just shows a trend of these genius people who, as Arian Foster said, don't know what they're doing, going the wrong way, whether it's these big baseball contracts. We, I thought we had gotten away from this after Rick DiPietro signed that big hockey contract. 15 or, years, yeah. Yeah, and then you had the Ilya Kovalchuk thing that was such a disaster. It led to changing how contracts are done in the NHL and him running off to Russia for a few years. Uh, it was, I mean, it was just catastrophic. And then we should know that, I mean, all of those contracts, not a single one of them, and they were the norm for for many years. And I know that our Vancouver Bureau Chief has spoken out against them for years. And this is just hockey. Everyone is signing these 12 and 15 year contracts and they were all backloaded or whatever. And then at the end, the last five years are making 1 million a year right. instead of 14 a year for the rest of it. And it was ludicrous. And I thought that after they did the market correction and they were forced to change all that, that it would be, we'd be getting away from that in all sports. And instead we're going the other way. Now everyone's signing double digit years and 13 uh you know 13 years co contract and uh whatever and just you know over 300 million dollars and it's just over 400 million dollars and it's just going the wrong way it's just i don't know play, people are so desperate to lock up a certain key part they just give unlimited term in addition to great money and it's just this desperate hail mary thing where they don't want to have to look for somebody again. It's almost like if somebody gets married and they're, they don't even like the person, but they are just too scared to look for someone else. That's what these bad marriages are here with uh, Calipari and all these other things. Because And even if right now you think signing Manny Machado for 100 years is a great idea, <laughs> at some point you're going to want a divorce from Manny fucking Machado. You know what? And at the very least he'll be overpaid. And, I, you know, Sean had challenged me one time to see, is there a single person who not only made it to the end of the contract, because that doesn't usually happen, but even if they did, um, were they playing at a high level the whole time, or at least a level commensurate with what they were being paid? And it's, it's hard to find a single example of that. And this is just irresponsible, reckless, and unbelievably short-sighted. And these long-term and now lifetime contracts, what's next? You know, are you going to get like the rights to the guy's kids and like what? Because yeah. now they're going to want to go beyond lifetime. It's just pathetic, and no one knows what they're doing. Again, real quick before I get into these, uh, a, a little bit about these contracts, and this is more specifically slanted toward Bryce Harper, and I'll get to that in a second. But Chris just brought up a name that triggered something in my mind, and I was going this way anyway. Uh, Monday night, the uh, Flames. The local losers, the Flames uh, went got their fiftieth win of the season in a seven to two win over the Los Angeles Kings. They've got two games left in their season. They have clinched um, home ice advantage 
throughout the whole Western Conference Finals. Obviously, the Tampa Bay Lightning will have home ice advantage throughout the whole Stanley Cup playoffs. And they've earned with 124 points. They've they've obviously earned that. President's Cup trophy winners and everything. But um, I need to make a quick comment about what I saw on uh, Monday night from the Staples Center in Los Angeles. And I know a great contributor to the show is a friend of ours by the name of Ryan Hall. Very knowledgeable man. I like his insight. He's usually very right, but he's also got a very dry sense of humor. And I like everything that Ryan brings to the program. Um, Ryan is a huge Los Angeles Kings fan. I, in a former life, was a Los Angeles Kings fan. That was before the Vegas Golden Knights came into into play. That's my hometown. Um, so, uh, But I still watch the Los Angeles Kings when I can. And, and obviously on Monday night, I watched them. I have two observations. First of all, remember there was some noise at the trade deadline that the Kings were, they were, there was some talk about how would the Kings and what a poor decision it was to give Ilya Kovalchuk a three-year deal at 100 years old at, what was it, 15 million for three years or whatever it was. I don't know what it was. It doesn't matter. The term was more was more disturbing to me than it was the number of, of money because term at, he's got to be damn near halfway to 40, right? And he's been over in the Russian league and he comes over here and he gets three years from the Kings. And I thought that screamed of desperation when that happened, when that trade, or excuse me, when that signing came down at the beginning of the season. Well, two quick observations. Monday night was the first time that Kovalchuk had seen the ice for the Los Angeles Kings as he has been a healthy scratch the last five games. You're paying a guy not to play hockey. And you've got to do this now for two more years because who the hell is going to pick up that contract? Which of the other 31 National Hockey League teams, and I'm including Seattle, even though, of course, they're not in the league, you know, as a entity right now. They're in in theory, but the other teams, who the hell is going to trade with the Kings for Ilya Kovalchuk right now? Nobody. Nobody. The Russian team won't put a bid in for him. My second observation about the LA Kings, and this really hurts me because I won a lot of money in 2014 and 2012 when the Los Angeles Kings went on those improbable runs to winning their first and second and their only Stanley Cup uh, championships in their history since 1967. Um, but the guy that got him there really was the backstop was Jonathan Quick. And last night, you know, I don't claim to know hockey like Chris does. I don't claim to know hockey like Sean Dode, our Vancouver bureau chief, or Ryan or Greg or any of the guys. But, you know, I know more than just the team jersey colors. I do know this. That from what I saw on Monday night from Jonathan Quick, Jonathan Quick has lost his confidence. And if the Los Angeles Kings are ever truly going to let these two ex-jocks get them back on the road to winning playoff series again, meaning Messrs. Blake and Robitaille, the first thing I think they have to do in the offseason is maybe release some players and eat some money Second of all, what the hell has happened to Dustin Brown? But more importantly, I think they have to find somebody that will be a trading partner with them 
and they need to get Jonathan Quick out of the Southland. He's lost his confidence. He looked like he was just about... When when Willie... What the hell? Is it Willie Desjardins? Yeah. When Willie Desjardins finally pulled the plug on Jonathan Quick after he'd given up his seventh goal, and the last three came within about a period of about three minutes. Boom, boom, boom. The Flames. And the Flames were resting six of their regulars after they had won Sunday night in San Jose, so it wasn't a full complement of the floodplain Flames, and they still went into L.A. and put up seven. And this was the same team that the week before came into Calgary and shut them out with that backup goaltender who Ryan has told me and told everybody that he has been playing a lot better than Jonathan Quick. And now that I saw it, I can't believe Jonathan Quick looks... He looks as bad as I do between the pipes, and I don't play (laughs) hockey. But he looked... You know when when a goalie is always looking back and he's always looking over either shoulder, you know he's lost confidence. And Jonathan Quick has lost confidence. And for the LA Kings to improve quickly and let the rebuild, because that's what they're in, folks. I don't care what anybody says. Ryan, you can I, you and I can argue about this one. The the Kings are on their way to a rebuild. There's some there's some pieces there that they could trade to speed up the rebuild. But ultimately, one of the first things that they have to do, I think, in the offseason. In, in, in starting this rebuild is they've got to get rid of their goaltender. I don't know if they commit to the backup. I don't know what they do. But Jonathan Quick has lost his confidence. And maybe, you know, he's one of these guys that potentially could be in for that need of a change of scenery. Oh, absolutely. You're absolutely right. This is exactly where you want to start the rebuild in Los Angeles. And, of course, finishing dead last in the West. Whether you want it to be a rebuild or not, it's a rebuild, really. And I think that they should absolutely get rid of him. This Jack Campbell is a really good story. Yeah. yeah, Jack Campbell, the backup. He's So he was drafted first round 11th overall in 2010 by the Dallas Stars. And that's pretty high for a goaltender. Right. Very yeah. high for a goaltender. Not a lot of... I mean, there's only, what, like three guys ever, I think, taken first overall as goaltenders. I think uh, Di Pietro in 2000, Fleury in 2003, and then I think a guy in the 70s or 60s or something. And that's about it. Like, goaltenders are... They, they say goaltenders are voodoo, and it's really hard to project. Like, it's hard enough for any minor league or college player in any sport for you to kind of transpose how they're going to play in the bigs. And uh, nothing's harder than figuring out if a goaltender in hockey is going to do that. But he's uh, got a good pedigree. Uh, he's American. He's from Michigan. He's, uh, well, what else do I know about him? He played for the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds, the same as Darnell Nurse. And, uh, yeah, it seems like a really solid guy. There's no question and Ryan did back me up on this via text. There's no question that Jack Campbell has been outplaying Jonathan Quick. And the thing is, it's so hard to find elite goaltending in the NHL that there is going to be some team that would happily trade for Jonathan Quick and will pay him on past production. And it's possible he could have resurgence, but he's just had so many lower body injuries over the years, a lot of groin problems. So it's really tough as a goaltender. I can't even imagine being a goaltender, having to come back from a groin issue as a goaltender. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Like, and he's had repeated ones, I think. And that's just awful. So yes, uh, Jack Campbell, I know he's under contract this year for a 650,000 to cap hit of 675. And next year he still is under contract at 700,000. If I was them, I'd throw another year or two on there at 700,000. You got nothing to lose really. And get rid of quick and uh, really start the rebuild in earnest by making, uh, having a goal. He makes 10% of what quick does, I think would be a really good start. Now, this is not to 
uh, poor salt in an open wound. I have too much respect and admiration for my partner and my friend here. But I do, I do, I, I thought that the, this was something that screamed of unscripted. The Edmonton Oilers have become the first team since the 1989-1990 Pittsburgh Penguins to have two 100-point scores on the roster and not make the playoffs. Obviously, Connor McDavid, Leon Drysaddle, love the name. Drysaddle have both gone over the century mark, but the flame, or excuse me, the Oilers will be watching the second season from home. Um, and coincidentally enough, because we were talking about this last week in regard to the the Mount Rushmore, and your fourth Mount Rushmore was a guy that I never thought of. Um, you know, again, not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I do know quality when I see it. Mario Lemieux and Paul Coffey were the two guys on the 1989-1990 Pittsburgh Penguins team that each went over 100 points and didn't see the second season. The Oilers have a huge... This is probably, and I don't think this is over-exaggerating, and I think this is just the fact of the matter when you're talking about the one of the most successful franchises in the National Hockey League, all the Stanley Cup championships, all the great history... Um, I mean, you talk about one of the marquee franchises in the National Hockey League. You've got to mention the Edmonton Oilers. I don't care what anybody says. My wife can be sitting right here, and she's the hugest Calgary Flames fan that you'll ever see, but even she could not disrespect or disregard all of the championships won by the Edmonton Oilers. But this offseason, I think, for the Edmonton Oilers, going way back to when they first acquired all the guys that made up those unbelievable teams in the in the 80s. I think this is the most important offseason in Edmonton Oilers history. I think that they have got to find the right coach. I think they've got to, more importantly, they've got to find the right GM. And maybe, maybe it's time for a change at top in regard to Bob Nicholson. Some of the things that he has said recently kind of make you scratch your head and going, Bob, what the fuck? Um, you know, again, my team has sucked the last two years. I've manned up. You have much more, much more uh, credibility than I do. You've taken, a, you've taken your lumps this year. Your team has not been good. My team has been dog shit the last two years, the Green Bay Packers. Um, but would you agree with me that this is an unbelievable important offseason for the Oilers moving forward. Yeah, I really don't like to speak in superlatives because these days everybody, every meal they have, oh, it's the best thing ever and everything's the best ever and, and all that. And people have no sense of context or anything. But you might be right because if you, there's been a lot of challenging and important offseasons for, you know, various facets. But when you add them all up and it's so important for team chemistry and getting some depth on this team for the players and for the coach and the GM and even for the president. Really, if you add all that up, it would be a very compelling case. It would be hard to make the case that there has been a more important one uh, ever uh, since 79. There, It really would be difficult. I have heard uh, some reports that finally Daryl Cates is actually very upset with Bob Nicholson and is very unhappy with him. And uh, I actually do expect, and it, and it didn't seem like this for the longest time, 
but I am expecting now Nicholson to be either fired or reassigned. I really am. And uh, he's got a great pedigree, but it's always suspect, like, you know, big in hockey Canada. Like, well, yeah, you should be winning if you're in hockey Canada. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I you mean, that's... roll out nine lines with hockey Canada. Yeah. Like your, like your B team could be the silver medalist. You know what I Damn mean? Damn straight. So yeah. that's, uh, I've always been a little bit suspect and the unbelievable lack of tact and class and especially awareness that he showed by throwing Toby Reader to the, the wolves guy, yeah. and not just saying that about him, but not even pronouncing the guy's name right. Yeah. Whenever I see, I hate that because even if he hadn't said anything bad about Toby Reader, when he calls him Toby Ryder, yeah. you don't even know how to pronounce the guy. That means to me, you're one of those typical empty suits. There's, they're everywhere. It's a friggin' pandemic of these guys who are just like, oh, they're the old. And this is why I want the Arizona Car Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> no, this is why I want the Arizona Coyotes to yeah. do well when they took a chance with a young guy who's not only young, and self-made, but he, you know, subscribes to a new way of doing things. He can prove why he wants certain guys. He can show mathematical models like the Moneyball type stuff, and he can say why. It's not just a bunch of old guys kind of pretending they know what they're doing and rubbing elbows. It's ridiculous. And now I think that Bob Nicholson has been unbelievably exposed, because even if he knows nothing about hockey, I would have thought he would at least know how to be the Oh, you know, ha, 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 season ticket holders, we're going to give it the old call a try this year. And he could at least do that. And he can't even do that now. So I hope they get rid of Nicholson. I don't know what to think about Hitchcock. I think he's tried really hard. And I'm not sure if he's the good fit or not. But the key is to find some depth of scoring. Cassian has come on lately, which is great. Alex Chason was a great pickup by Chirelli. That was brilliant, to be honest with you. Uh, Dreisaitl playing better than ever, and not just overall, but especially as a goal scorer, second in the league in goals. He has three games to get three goals uh, to get to 50, which I'd love to see. Connor hits 40 for the first time. Obviously, no problem there. Nuge playing his best hockey ever. Lots of great things there. And when Clefbaum and Sekera are healthy, they're unbelievable. Andre Sekera is the most underrated player in the NHL, I think, right now. He doesn't even put up many points, but the difference between when he plays and when he doesn't is night and day, and if they get him healthy next year, I think that is a big difference. Koskinen, when he plays well, is great. Torelli just paid him way too much, but I think there are big changes coming in Edmonton, absolutely, and I hope they don't go overboard. I don't want them to, say, trade Nuge or yeah, something. Yeah. I don't want them to do anything stupid like that, and I don't want them to get rid of Hitchcock unless they have something legitimately better, but they need to get it right with the G GM, and I think they need to get rid of Nicholson, and those two things should be fairly easy to do. I will totally agree with you with what I've seen and heard from Hitchcock, but you know this as well as I do. A lot of times when a general manager comes in, he's got his own guy. Yeah, yeah. he's got his guy that I he wants it. to, and uh, we'll we will see. I think Hitchcock has done an admirable job in a difficult situation, um, you know, and. Um, I, I just, again, we all know that a lot of times when you bring in a new general manager, he has got a guy that that's um, kind of his, he's comfortable with, he has experience with, he's got a, he's got a past with, and a lot of times that seems to be the norm. Um, baseball. Major League Baseball, um, I guess... No real big surprises. We're only four or five games in, so I mean, let's not worry about anybody too much right now. Um, are we going to worry about somebody that's off to an zero and three or an zero and four start at this point? Uh, I don't think so. 
Um, some observations that I've had real quick. National League MVP. And, and see, this is why, for twofold, obviously, this is why this is always seemingly chapping my backside every now and then. But I still have problems with that ESPN poll that uh, had Christian Yelich the defending National League MVP is the seventh best player in baseball. That's Eight. bullshit. Eighth best player. That's right. Eighth best player in baseball. It's bullshit. All the guy has done since the season started, the Brewers have started out five and one, four and one. They won their fourth game last night. They took three out of four on the opening weekend in Milwaukee against St. Louis. But all Yelich did was hit four homers. He had two game-winning hits and had the game-winning hit on Monday night in Cincinnati that has fueled the Brewers to the 4-1 start. But what I want to get at is one of these unbelievable contracts. And I will admit to anybody, and even if Christian Yelich was sitting right here next to Chris, I would say that Mike Trout is still the best player in Major League Baseball. I don't believe, though, I really don't believe that there are six other players between one and eight or whatever the number is, my math skills suck, but there are not that many players between Mike Trout and Kristen Yelich. One of those players with his contract that you'd think should be between one and eight would be Bryce Harper. The Las Vegan, um, he returns to Washington as the Phillies visit uh, the U.S. capital city starting a two-game series on Tuesday night but uh, Harper makes his way back to Nationals Park in D.C. I found a couple funny things. That's why I bring it up. Bryce Harper, we all know that got he got offered uh, a, a uh, contract by the Lerner family. That's the ownership group of the Washington Nationals. The last game of the season. During the last game of the season, the Lerners came down to the clubhouse and texted somebody in the Nationals dugout during that game that they wanted Bryce Harper to report to the manager's office. So he reports to the manager's office. He thought it was going to be manager Davey Martinez, and what it turned out to be was the ownership group. The Lerner family are sitting there in Martinez's office, and they give Harper an envelope. And in that envelope was a contract offer. That's the contract offer that we heard about. The numbers were 10 years at $300 million. But what nobody ever knew until the last couple of days, that the Lerner family was going to try, as part of this contract, was going to defer payments as far out as the year 2072. That's when Bryce Harper knew that his days were over as a member of the Washington Nationals. No deferred payments. He got... 12 years and $330 million from the Middleton family who owns the Philadelphia Phillies. But you're paying out $330 million. Why would you want to make that pain linger until 2072? I find that to be one of the dumbest things. That's like the guy who negotiated Bobby Bonilla's contract, except Bobby Bonilla did it the smart way. He knew he was limited and he still gets a million dollars every July 1st until 20-whatever-it-is. I think it's in the 2030s. It's right off the top of my head. But to defer payments to Bryce Harper until the year 2072? All right, I don't, I don't want to sound, you know, 
morbid or anything, but I don't think I'm going to be here in 2072. Um, that's, you know, that's still 50, 50, 53 years away. No, there's no way in hell I'm going to be here in 2072. And that would make Bryce Harper in his late eighties. Um, I, I just think that is preposterous. And when I hear shit like this, I'm not a huge Bryce Harper fan, even though he's from Vegas, but it was right for him not to get involved in that kind of crap with the Lerner family. This is what we were just talking about. It's stupid owners making stupid, short-sighted decisions. And it's unbelievable. Like, the fact that you could just download this to your future, I don't know, your, I guess, your ancestors or your future ancestors <laughs> who are, who are going to be running the team or future people who buy the team or whatever. You're going to just have this on the books for the next 53 years. It's unbelievable how short-sighted people are and these big executives. It's just proof that it's not like they did anything special in most cases to get to be fancy rich guys. They just are just like the worst of us, except they just got lucky somewhere and they'd make the same stupid mistakes on a bigger scale. And that's unbelievably pathetic. And there's everything is wrong with this story. And it just underscores how baseball is still fucked up because they haven't made any reforms to their contract situations and their rules. And holy shit, there's a lot of incompetence out there. Well, you wonder when you have these kind of contracts, and obviously Chris and I were talking about this last week when you've 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 dedicated, I don't know if that's the right word, but it's the one I'm going with, you've dedicated one billion dollars plus in salaries over the next 12 years to three guys. Mike Trout, $430 million over the next 12 years. Harper, $330 million over the next 12 years. And Machado, $300 million over the next 10 years. That's over a billion dollars for three guys. And now I wonder, because we know that Harper and Machado certainly aren't rocket science and scientists in the offseason. I wonder if they want to go to their clubs now and renegotiate because Trout got $430 million over the next 12 years. That's, I mean, it sounds stupid, but it wouldn't surprise me. <sighs> I don't know what you want me to say. I don't. It's just, I, like, I just, but it's it, too it would, much. It is too much, but this is how, and I know you've been saying it forever, and I'm I'm starting to come over on your side of the fence here, but... Baseball and who's running baseball, I'm not, this isn't a shot at Manfred. I'm talking about the individual team owners and ownership groups. There's some problems in Major League Baseball. $1 billion dedicated to three guys. That's ridiculous. We've got to run on this 336th episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Freeform Friday is next. Whatever is on our mind from the wonderful and wacky world of sports or maybe something that isn't even close to the wonderful and wacky world of sports. Freeform Friday is the forum that we talk about it. Look forward to it and hope you'll join us. Uh, and we appreciate that uh, anytime you join us on Unscripted with Mike and Chris, we truly appreciate it. And again, hope that you continue to do so. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.